Yeah, so maybe we'll just jump straight in because we're talking about it already. So, are you are you born and born and raised in in Gainesville? Is that where where you were from no, originally? Or no, I uh, I was born and raised in Chicago of oh, all places. Okay. Uh, I came down here in '77. Uh, I was in Gainesville for about uh, eight years. Okay. Uh, so seven years, and then I moved to Daytona for ten years. And in '95, uh, I married a lady who lived here and. It seemed to make the most sense to come back. So I've been back ever since. So that's 27 years that I've been wow. in this last stretch and oh, 35 total. So I've been, I've been, when I got in Gainesville uh, in 77, it was a much different town than it is now. It's much right. smaller. You know, when Tom lived here, it was only 27,000 or so. And it wasn't a whole lot bigger than that when I moved here. Uh, but it's just grown exponentially in the last 30 years, 40 years, but. It's crazy oh. you think and you think about that size of a town, twenty seven thousand people, to still have that rich musical legacy that it has is it's pretty unusual for a small town like that to develop so many really talented musicians, I think. There was two key reasons why it happened. One of which there was uh, a fellow that well uh, his dad started a music store and then he took it over, Lip um Buster Lippum. Okay. And Buster Buster would a kid would come into his shop and start eyeing that guitar and he go son you uh, have any like grass cutting jobs or something oh yeah yeah i've got a regular income blah blah, blah. well you got ten dollars you can put ten dollars on it oh yeah yeah i can put ten dollars can you make payments of five dollars a week yeah yeah and so then you know buster would kind of set it up with him and then he would call the parents and go is this right. okay you know and <laughs> and so literally he basically you know put all these instruments out in the community. So that was one thing. And of course the Beatles were so, so uh, affected so many different people in yeah. terms of wanting to learn how to play. And then what happened was um, the fraternities and the sororities, the college, uh, they, those kids wanted to hear live music. And, and um, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort to, to have a band, you know, play all the stuff that's current and all that. Whereas the, the college kids were pretty busy being college kids. Yep. And so the high school kids in the community started performing bands and that's, and, and Tom was one of them. And so it was, it was kind of like their Hamburg, you know, if you compare it to the right. Beatles, right. they got to play and play and play and play to where they start getting pretty darn good. And, and then went out to California and, and got a record contract. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you're talking about Stephen Stills was here, Don right. Felder. Don Felder and Stephen Stills in the same <laughs> band, right? The Mondi Quartet, <laughs> right? Um, uh, Bernie Ledden was here. Yeah. Tom Ledden was here. Um, you have, uh, 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 you know, the uh, um, Bo, Bo Diddley. You know, right, was living right. in the area and affecting folks as well, and and then you have Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. All you know, all five of them. You know, so you quite have quite a rock and roll Hall of Fame. You know, group. It yeah. comes out of this tiny little town. It uh, it was it's just amazing. And um, it's, it's funny because it feels like that. And again, I mean, no, as old guys when we started talking about music, it it does feel like that's lost a little bit somehow. That there aren't venues for young kids to just go and play and suck for a little while, but learn how to do it and learn that craft of actually playing live shows and learning their instruments. It feels like that's 
missing a little bit because we don't tend to see as many of them coming through. And of course, that's going to be um, industry pressure as well. But it seems like Gainesville has managed to avoid that more or less because looking through sort of the list of festivals you have in Gainesville every year, there seems to still be a really vibrant local indie music scene there. So is that is that accurate or...? There is. And, and uh, you know, I think it's growing, uh, to be honest with you. It, it's kind of went underground to some degree. Right. And a lot of college bands came up. Uh, you know, it's the ones that didn't have time to do it in the 60s or 70s, now they're doing it. And right. and we've had some great bands come out of uh, Gainesville since the 80s. And we, uh, Sister Hazel was one. And Big White Undies was another. Less Than Jake. Um, you know, there was... Bands that didn't quite hit the super big time, but certainly made their mark in music. But so there, that's been going on. And then right. I think there's been a um, 20 years of a punk rock festival called yeah. The Fest that, you know, I mean, now these guys are coming there, you know, they're coming in their suits. You know, so, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just. It's they don't look quite as wild as they did when they first came. I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it's something that the that a number of people in town are like we want to get back to being a music center. Uh, you know, right. and, and trying to you know, Hartwood is certainly one of the big steps forward to uh, because we were so dependent upon uh, public facilities, and that doesn't always right. work out well. And so Hartwood being a private facility, so it's pretty nice. And so, so is that something then, obviously, like you said, back in the, in the 70s and into the 80s, and then maybe it sort of drops off a little bit, but then it's resurgent. Is music sort of, because there are music towns, right? There are towns where music is just part of their DNA and it's how people sort of identify. That's one of the things they say about, well, we've got a really good music. Is, has that always been a Gainesville thing? Well, certainly since the uh, the 60s, 70s. Okay. I don't, I don't know about before. Uh, there was a few people that came out. You know, B.B. Uh, King, the last couple of years of his life was in Gainesville. He has a number of relatives that lived here. Wow. And so it's it's not the only, but, you know, it. your, your comment about music, you know, back in the 60s, um, most, one of the things that people try to do is have uh, dances for kids. Yeah. Right. And, and the 70s as well you know, so that they wouldn't get in trouble, you know, right. 10, 10 to 15 year olds, of course, they're going to get in trouble. But, uh, <laughs> but, but um, and we don't do that anymore. Yeah. You, you, you know, I mean, just, and uh, there was a tremendous interest in rock music among the youth in the 70s, witnessed the gigantic festivals, Woodstock, yeah. You know, and and on and on. Atlanta had you know hundred thousand, and I mean it was one after another for a while, <laughs> and um, and that type of interest hasn't come back. I mean, it's gone away. Uh, it's 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 different. I don't know, I don't know whether it's um better or worse, yeah. but it's more permeated into life now. Right. You yeah, don't go sure. anywhere without hearing music in the elevator and music, you know, in a supermarket and music in the waiting room of the, you know, whatever office you're in or whatever. It's everywhere. And you can with the phones and <clears throat> Spotify or Apple Music, you can hear every song that's ever been recorded <laughs> at any moment. Um, so I think um are the sound systems in the cars have gotten so much better right so you're listening to music 
we had, music has just permeated our life. Yeah. It wasn't like that in the 60s. It was it was like, what's this new toy? You know, yeah, well, yeah, music, yeah, yeah. this is cool. Now it's like it's I don't mean to say uh old hat, but it's it's gone into our, it's now become part of our our everything, you know, part of our lives. Yeah, it's just it's in, it's in a different cultural space, right? Like it doesn't it doesn't mean quite the same thing maybe as it did when it was when it wasn't ubiquitous and it wasn't sort of everyone you know when you could listen to any track, which is great. I mean, being able to just go back and listen to Bo Diddley or or go back into you know Sister Rosetta Tharp and learn about all that stuff through YouTube or through Spotify or whatever is fantastic for a for a music fan. Right. But you don't get that same. I mean, I remember I grew up with vinyl, you know, and and cassettes came in and in my lifetime. But when you get that piece of plastic and you get it home and you put it on the turntable, it's just a viscerally different experience hearing that first. You know, hearing hearing Black Dog for the first time or hearing Refugee for the first time or something like that. It's just it impacts you. It hits you harder, I think, when it's when there's something there because it's not all the time. Like you said, you're not hearing it constantly on commercials. You're not hearing it constantly in the, in the malls, all those kinds of things. So it just means a little bit more, I think, to those old, those old folks who sort of grew up with, with it being a little more sparse, I think. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, there was another factor and we had this Vietnam war going on in the sixties and seventies, uh, uh, early seventies. And, and there was really, there were a lot of, a lot of the young folks were really upset about it. Because yeah. they were drafting people, whether you wanted to go or not, and it was, it wasn't, you know. And see, it's really important for for folks to understand what what was going on back then, because it was a police action, right? Yeah, they didn't allow us. They didn't allow our troops to shoot first. It wasn't a war. I mean, we call it a war, but it yeah. wasn't a war. And so they basically had their hands tied behind their back going over and people are shooting at them right yeah. so it was like you know once you found that out it's like no I, I don't want to be part of that of course of course <laughs> and so you had so you had this sense of all the youth was kind of like on one side and these old people were on the other side and then you have the music that came in and yeah. it was music that was for us and, and and really at no time in history was there ever anything like that before right music for the young people right and i don't yeah. really think since maybe grunge would be the only thing really that's somewhat comparable right punk i guess maybe but not to the same extent where it was this huge cultural explosion with you know john baez and, and hendrix and dylan of course coming through and just changing the whole world of music completely oh, yeah. so yeah yeah and then the beatles yeah the beatles oh my gosh you know <laughs> well it's like tom said he goes he really, I mean, he met Elvis and that yeah. just changed his life, right? I mean, I don't even know if he got to shake his hand, but, you know, got to nod his head and, you know, be in his presence. Yeah. And he was so impressed with that, that he was like, okay, I, I, I want to, he got a guitar and he started learning songs and all that stuff. But when he saw the Beatles is when he went, oh, I can do that. Because he yeah. knew he was going to grow up to be Elvis, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. And like, <laughs> no, he wasn't going to do that. That wasn't going to happen. But he could, he could become one of the Beatles, so to speak. He yeah. could get his, you know, some other guys and get together a band. And sure enough, he did. You know, but um, that was the the Beatles were just a monstrous and and um, something that I, I I came across recently about how the Beatles were so strong in their optimism and in their happiness. Right. right you know their their songs were so powerful yeah 
um, especially the the early albums were so powerful and and their, their exuberance. And uh, then I and and that no band had ever done that before, right? Yeah. The kind of exuberance, right? And I read that uh, John uh, John Lennon said that uh, Hamburg was really really important to them because the uh, he says we would have never become the band that we became without Hamburg. And he said, because we would have been so much softer and laid back. He goes, but Hamburg, the Germans wanted you to play loud. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's like, oh, I guess we got to play that way. So that's how they developed their sound. So just the way it happened, but very cool. Well, and again, just inspired so many people, like you said, to pick up a guitar and think, yeah, we, we should just get some of our friends together and play because you know and definitely said oh it'll impress the girls and it'll be you know is it something for us to do and it and the parents probably maybe didn't love the music they were playing all the time but certainly that they weren't going out getting into trouble if they're just sitting in the garage playing well that's a good thing because we know where they are right, right yeah, so, yeah. yeah yeah that's so awesome wonderful. yeah so we could we could probably talk about the history of music for six or seven hours here but i want to yeah. loop back quickly so growing up in chicago then um what was home life like did you what was music like in your in your home growing up you know, music, uh, when I was 10, well, when I was nine, maybe, right around there, um, I'm I'm in a bathroom in my house. I had not got into, I mean, you know, kids songs or something. It was nothing. Yeah. Music wasn't that big deal at all. Uh, and I'm, I have WLS radio, which is a radio, big radio, AM radio station. And I had gotten, uh, that year I'd gotten it. AM radio, you know, right. it's a big deal, right? It's like yeah. a Walkman for for folks like you, or you know, or <laughs> even maybe a phone, you know, nowadays. But hey, I, I had AM radio, dude. Like I grew up because you could get <laughs> you could get European countries on AM radio. In FM right. was all local, but we get stuff from like Luxembourg and France, and you couldn't understand any of it. It was like this is so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Um, and so there, uh, and she loves you comes on. Now this is September of 1963 right they had not really been put out on the radio stations and uh and remember i don't know if you remember their first big song was i want to hold your hand yeah but wls got she loves you and we're like i'm like oh my god yeah. what is this yeah <laughs> it just like a bolt of lightning it came yeah. out of the sky it's like holy smokes and uh so that so then I, you know, got a guitar and I started taking lessons. I was not very good. I didn't go terribly far. And the parents didn't think I practiced enough. So they yeah. cut off lessons. And so, so I didn't, I didn't pursue being a musician uh, beyond that, but I always, um, uh, and then, I, and then I, I was getting Beatles records until like rubber soul. And then I really got into sports for a few years. And, and so music kind of went to the wayside until I got to college right. and then college, um, and the uh, extracurricular things that you would take when you're in college and and the music just combined to really make me a lover of, of, of music for the rest of my life. So, um, you know, I mean, some of the early uh, music that I really got into was like Elton John, you know, Madman Across the Water and yeah. Led Zeppelin 4 and, you know, all the, I mean, Yes, Fragile, you know, you know, on and on and on. I mean, yeah. just um, amazing, amazing acts that continue to be wonderful albums even to this day you know so it's funny it's funny you talk about that i, I, I always talk about this with people because 
maybe it's more so with rock and roll, maybe it isn't, but when that first sort of visceral connection to it, it's like, oh my God, this is music for me. This is this is my music. It's not my parents' music. It's not, and it and you can tell because it just you you get your body gets excited. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it was for me. It was the first time like I, my dad's huge headphones and sitting in front of our record player with a big box of vinyl and taking out this weird vinyl record with a, a photo of what looked like a tramp on the front and put it on. And again, the first time Black Dog kicks into your head and then oh, yeah. Plant's vocal comes in. It's like, oh my god, this I'm never going to be the same again. My life, right. my life is that's that's this is my music now. This is what I'm going to be into for the rest of my life. So, uh, you know, I I still hear the because uh, I first started listening to it uh, on an eight track player, so I still <laughs> know where the eight track clicks were right in the middle <laughs> of some songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. again that's that's the thing that kids don't get these days too, right? It's like your vinyl record skipped in a certain place and it had a pop in a certain place that no one else's did. So that was that's your record. And when you heard that, when you heard the song, sometimes you thought, oh yeah, I forgot that I don't have that word on my song because it skips over it. So you know, <laughs> yeah, totally. So different. Uh, yeah, the the. Uh... So you got into it when you were when? How old? Oh God, I, I was young. Yeah, my, so my dad's a musician. My dad was a guitarist, and he was in bands, like just a sort of a hobbyist. He was a working class fella. Um, but I would have been listening to Zeppelin, The Kinks, The Who, The Beatles, Queen from the age of sort of you know five or six, really. And being a music obsessive, just getting those big headphones on, and just sit for hours in front of the record player and just record after record after record. And Earth, Wind, and Fire too, and Rod Stewart and. Rossini and Beethoven and Mozart. It was it was a very musical household, and I had access to all of that, right? So it was a good musical upbringing for me. That's great. I mean, you know, some of the two of the great albums to me is uh, Dark Side of the Moon and uh, and Led Zeppelin Four for sure. And yeah. oh, and also Jimi Hendrix Electric Ladyland. Oh man, and stuff on like... that album. It's still never been topped. I mean, some of the stuff that he did with the guitar. There's people who are proficient, but they never quite have the same groove and the same soul that jimmy did right if you ever get a chance to watch the documentary they did on the making of electric lady lamb okay i recommend it i actually i couldn't get through it because my mind was just blown because yeah. what he would do is you know like some of those songs you like you'd hear like it was like oh is he playing at a a, a, a little bar or something or there's people <laughs> talking and all this stuff well what it was is Everyone he would meet during the day, he'd go, man, I'm recording tonight. Come down to my studio. Hey, did you ever play any instruments in high school? Yeah, I played the sax. Okay, bring it down. And wow. literally, that's, I mean, literally, he literally just brought people in and they'd either sit there and, and listen or they'd be playing. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's like... Yeah. So when when did you when did you discover Tom's music then? So you, like you said, sort of 77, I think you said you moved back down to Gainesville. So you were kind of around then... In Gainesville at the time, that that first album comes out doesn't do anything, and then obviously in '77, John Scott thankfully finds that record in the bottom of a cupboard, and then it right. starts, gets, starts getting played. What are your first memories of Tom's music? My first memories of Tom's music was that I was living in Gainesville in the early '80s, and I started hearing about Tom Petty. You know, it's like oh, you know, and I I would hear some of his songs, but I didn't have any connection other than you know he came from this town, but yeah. I didn't. I didn't really know. And I actually remember working, um, I was working in 83 for this um, music, uh, this uh, kind of like it was a low power TV station that was going to play music videos. And, right. um, and it was, and we actually played around with using one of uh, uh, breakdown, the, the guitar solo for um, like a TV um 
you know, like when they put up the the name of the station and they have a little music on for a few seconds. Well, we, yeah. that was what what, what it was going to be. And um, and I was like, wow, that's really good. And then I was listening to, and that was the first time I actually listened to uh, his first album. And uh, and I'm going, boy, he's got a couple country songs in here. It's like, yeah, and I wasn't I wasn't into country at all, so I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't buy it. And um, but then um, but then I, I I when I came back in '95 uh, at a certain point, you know, I, I became more and more aware of him and. And when he did the 30th anniversary concert and appeared in Gainesville, I got tickets for that. And so that was the first time I saw him was in was okay. 2006. Um, you know, I mean, certainly I had respect for him. He's a great, um, that's a great band. It's actually, it's interesting. Um, what, what I'm seeing now with people that are, that are older, that they, the bands that they got into when they first got into music, they never let go. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Those are in, right? And so now it's like to squeeze a new artist in there is hard because you've already you've already <laughs> got your favorites, right? So Tom was always one of those that was like, it wasn't my one wasn't in that first group. So yeah. it was like, All right, yeah, you know, I, I like them. And I remember buying a um uh we had full moon fever as one of our albums, and that was just amazing, what an amazing yeah. album. And and so anyway, so we went to the 30th anniversary concert. It was uh, incredible. They did. I mean, you know, they play those. They play songs at that concert on Tom Petty radio all the time. I mean, it's it's, it's almost the, you know, the top shelf concert. You know. Yeah. I mean that we have access to, right? I mean, that, there's. Was that the one on on the? The documentary was that the live from Gatorville. It was it, it that was show included. It was included with the running running down a dream. Yeah, back oh, man, the that camp. show is just unbelievable. Like no, it's unbelievable. unbelievable. Right? That, yeah. That's the first time I saw him live. Wow. And uh, and then I saw him in 2014, um, and and that was terrific. Um, you know, it it uh, it it was actually a, a my I got a chance to meet Mike Campbell in. Um, when he was touring with uh, Fleetwood Mac after Tom passed away, right? Yeah. And and he was doing a deal where you you pay some money and you got to meet him, right? You know, so I paid some money and I got my wife and I got to meet him. And my question to him was, why didn't you guys jam more? Right? Why didn't you get it? To... And a perfect example, uh, one of my favorite Tom Petty songs is Melinda. Yep. And it's like fifteen minutes, and they kill, they yep. kill that song. Um, and there's, a, there's a couple others where they, they, they ended up getting into jams. So it's like, but I just felt like they, they could have been, uh, even bigger with some of their jamming, you know, I mean, I, yeah. it, it, you know, you, you know, if you're talking about songs as being the, um, the mark of a great band, well, they're a great band with what I question, absolutely unbelievable song. I, I, but some of those songs I love so much, I would love to have seen them you know, jam on him. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, but his his answer was that, uh, well, we grew up in a time where songs were three minutes or under, <laughs> and that's kind of like stuck with us. So, well, it's funny too because you know, when you do see them live, they do jam those out, and I'm really looking forward to that um, Fillmore box set if that ever does sort of come to pass, which it sounds like it might at some point, just to see if there is any sort of extended jams on there because they do do that fairly routinely where they'll they'll put in an extra 
16 bars on like Mike Got a Town or whatever. And, you know, right. the Allman, Allman Brothers, I mean, the, their Fillmore album, that's exactly what that was, was just a jam album, right? Really, I think one of the entries like 15 minutes or something. So you'd love oh. to get some of those. And, and I think that, you know, because they did it with Breakdown, they would quite often, Breakdown would be seven minutes, nine minutes, whatever it would be. And Dog on the Run on those early on those early shows, which they just kind of dropped out of the trace, was a long song as well. But I yeah. think maybe it is that thing of, especially once you've gone through Damn the Torpedoes, Hard Promises, Long After Dark, now you've got this catalogue of really big hits where you're drawing in a crowd that aren't just hardcore Heartbreakers fans, they're also radio fans who are going to come and they kind of want to hear all the songs. And then you start getting out of the situation, well, now we've got to pack in 2022 songs we we can't spend right. 15 minutes right. playing melinda anymore right so yeah, we don't have time we don't yeah. have time to jam on them right yeah. yeah yeah that was and you know what and that was a, a, a interesting philosophy he had he really always felt um very attuned to the fact that it was costing people a lot of money to come yeah. and so he wanted he he it wasn't way too many uh, musicians have a uh well, i don't care what the fans want i'm gonna do what i want kind of attitude and that was not tom Tom was very attuned to, uh, I want to give him a, a, a good show. I want to, you know, show a lot of respect to him and, yeah. and make him happy. So, um, so that, and, you know, I can't say that about Dylan anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob's always been a little bit of a, you know, a little loose cannon, right? And I think in, his, in the last 20 years, he's like, people are going to come. I don't care. So I'm going to go out there. I'm going to play what I want in whatever key I want. And I might change some of the words and people are just going to have to keep up. So. <laughs> well, Jeff Slate, who you've had on your show, mm -hmm. he, he told me that uh, he goes, Bob's doing exactly what he was doing in the 60s, yeah. you know? They wanted him to be a folk guy, and he goes, "No, I'm going to play electric." <laughs> so he goes, "He's not doing anything different. He's yeah. just doing whatever he wants to do, right?" So you know that's that, and Absolutely. that's his philosophy. And and you know you can't you can't argue with it because it's it's his life, and and that's what he wants to do. So, and it uh, is slightly different when it's someone like Dylan. And I think Tom probably could have got away with it because he's in that same mold that people will forgive a little bit of you know sort of not egoism, but sort of a little bit about it. Well, I want to do this, you know, and it's, it's like the old adage when you go to see a rock concert, especially it's like an aging rocker. It's like, don't just play the greatest hits. We don't want to hear the new cuts off the album, but the heartbreakers were different in that regard because I think that, and I've talked about this lots with people, Tom, because of Tom's diligence to making great music all the time. And that sort of bloody minded focus on every song needs to be as good as or better than the last one recorded that he had. The quality of the albums never dropped off. So you did want to hear some of the stuff off Mojo. You did want to hear some of the stuff off Hypnotic Eye. You did want to hear stuff from Last DJ and, and Echo. And sometimes like your favorite song might be one of those deep cuts off one of those albums that they're probably not going to play live. So I think he's one of those rare artists who, even though on the 40th anniversary tour, you know, most artists at that age, Kiss, Zeppelin, The Who, any of these guys, they're just churning out all the hits. Tom right. still had this catalogue that he could dip into and throw one or two of those tracks in there, you know. Well, and he had a new he had a new album, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, that was the other thing. He's always putting out new music, you know. Um, and 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 what's amazing is to look at the consistency of the music over his life. It's just yeah. unbelievable, unbelievable. I, you know, I still can't get over uh, Mojo. Um, it's... I can't get over. It was turn on the recorder. Okay, we're all going to play at the same time. Done. Yeah. In their practice space. In their practice space. At right? a time when at, at a time when blues rock isn't popular, you know. So yeah. who does that? Yeah. Who, 
you know, now, now everybody's sitting there, um, you know, you know, okay, well, we've got to record a voice track and, a, you know, a click track and, blah, you know, and then they build it up, you know, the Jeff Lynn style, yeah. you know, that's how they're all, and to, to do it like a live band, you know, just, and then they'll listen to it and go, oh my God. And, and I remember he made a comment um, that every one of these guys is a virtuoso. Yeah. You know? No, and and they were they were just amazing to be that good. Yeah, oh. well, I was talking to Jeff Slate about that, and he said that because he's friends with Ben Mont, and he says Ben Mont's the, the only sort of 60, 70 year old music, professional musician who still practices all the time. And I think it is that just that dedication to the craft, right? We need to, and it's the same thing back in the day. They no girls on the bus because it's the music first. Once we've done the show, once we've done the tour, go do whatever you want to do. But while the tour's going on, this is our job. And it's like you said, the fans have paid to come and see us. We need to take this seriously. And we need to put in absolutely top effort every time we get in. Okay, so yeah, I mean, obviously the big thing we want to talk about is the Tom Petty weekend, which is coming up. Um, and that is on October 20th. And that's going to be at the Hartwood Soundstage in Gainesville. So the first question I had was, I know that the Tom Petty birthday bash 2018-2019 was held in Depot Park. And I don't know, were you involved in organizing those ones as well? Well, uh, okay. So October 20th, 21st, and 22nd, first yeah. of all. So it's three dates. Sorry. Yeah. And uh, it actually started in 2017 when uh, Tom passed away. 18 days later, we put together a, a, a one-day uh, I, I don't want to call it a festival, although it's a little bit of a festival. But yeah. where what what the what looking back at it, it was awake for yeah. the people of Gainesville, right? And we had more it was free and we had I don't know, three thousand people there. Um and the everybody was just, you know, emotional. Uh people were crying. Um, of course, yeah. It was really powerful. So then we uh, uh, then we literally immediately started planning, went, wow, 3,000 people, you know, holy smokes. And with n almost no advertising, no notice, nothing, 3,000 people show. It's like, yeah. wow, I guess we should do this again. Yeah. And so, so we started planning the 2018. And uh, the lead singer for the main band that played uh, it's a he's a got a tribute band, uh, Tom Petty tribute band. Okay. The lead singer he decided uh, we had we had put him in charge of picking out the bands for 2018, and then we also uh, asked him to. We started going well. What if three? What if five thousand people show up the next time with adequate advertising and all that stuff? Right. So we're like, well, maybe we should look at a backup place to have this. Because we three thousand is pretty much our max. Yeah, and so well, well, there's Depot Park right across the street. You know, our place borders on Depot, uh, Depot Avenue, which used to be called Depot Street, which right. is the name of Tom's first single with yep. the Mud Crutch, and and so he went over there, and the next thing we know, he's decided to leave our group and do his own thing. Okay. His own Tom Petty Festival at the same time across the street. And so okay. so we had to deal with that for 18 and 19. And then um and then in 20, it was COVID and they did a virtual the family did a virtual festival in, in 21. COVID was bad. And then in 22, the family was going to do a festival in Gainesville. And then they 
it was when they decided it was probably like February or March and it was COVID was still raging. And so they were like, ah, and uh, so then we worked for two or three months to get their permission to to hold an, another Tom Petty weekend. So we we did it in 17, 18 and 19 and then now 22. And um, and, uh, you know, uh, we would have preferred to have done it as one group. Yeah, uh, the other group didn't want to do it that way. So, um, so yeah, it's too, it's too bad, really. But I mean, you know, I, I don't like to dwell on negatives. So at least, at least it shows that there is such an appetite for Tom's music that you can even you can run two simultaneously, or there's 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 enough capacity that people want to hear that music. I think that's that's the positive takeaway from it. I think, right? So, I don't. I mean, in an ideal world, I, I don't think we could do the fest model. But the fest right. model is really interesting. That. Um, they might have a couple main stages, but basically every bar in town has a band that comes and plays. Right. And you buy one ticket and you can go to any place you want to and see whatever you want. And um, But my, my goal was that we're celebrating Tom throughout town. And yes, every band, every bar should have a, you know, singer, songwriter singing Tom songs. And, yeah. and like everywhere you go, you can hear Tom oh, Petty. Right? So cool. Wouldn't that yeah, be that'd, cool? That'd be that, so cool. So, yeah. And so, I mean, I literally, we could really have quite a tourism industry if we got behind it. And so, so, but you know, you can't get there from, you know, that's A to Z. You, know, you got to go through all those other letters first. Of course. So. Yeah. And um and so that's where we're at with that you know just trying to get this thing and COVID really kind of knocked the wind out of us and the other thing was when Tom passed away there was it kind of their management got frozen there was uh, they had to wait for the settlement of the the way the state was all laid out who was in charge and that took a couple of years and then they had to kind of like feel their oats and you know what and so now they're they're much more involved in, in uh, I think not involved, that's the right word. They're much more paying attention to what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, whether or not they're going to have another festival, I don't know. But um, there's a lot of background stuff that is unfortunate. Yeah, hopefully it'll all work out. Of course, of course. I mean, and again, like I said, I, I always try to focus on positives on my podcast because Tom was, you know, he shone so much light into people's lives that that's the angle I try to take. So, with the festival, well, let's not call it the Tom Petty Weekend, then the festival. Um, how big of a job is that logistically to pull all that together when you're bringing in so many different artists? Like you said, you, you're making sure that they're, I'm sure you have to get like hotels, you have to do all these different things, checking with the city to so you've not got a, a conflict with other events. Like, how much effort is that? And what kind of team do you have um, doing that work? Well, there's three of us. Uh, Hochitama, who who is the main owner of Heartwood Soundstage. Okay. Dave Malosh is the general manager of Heartwood Soundstage. And then I'm the producer of Tom Petty Weekend. But I think of it as a three-headed, three-headed, you know, animal there. You know, um, you know, I, I couldn't do it without them. Uh, and they couldn't do it without me in the sense that they need, they, they both have other things to do and I'm retired. So I, <laughs> I, I can do more of this stuff. But it's a quite... I have uh, remarked to folks that without a, without the uh, the phone and you know a smartphone and and a laptop and an iPad, I don't know. See how you know it would have taken a, a crew of ten to fifteen people to do what just I did by myself. Yeah. Um, you know that because of because of the modern communications, 
you know, there's a lot of stuff you can you can be a lot more efficient in running stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, and it opens up these kinds of possibilities, right? I mean, it, and again, I think that's one thing that COVID did was a positive is that people have sort of got used to this medium of communicating now. Like, it's nothing to jump on a Zoom call and have a quick chat with someone halfway around the world, and that's become more normalized now, where in the old days, I think it would have been, the old days, but before that, it would have been a little bit less common and maybe just a little bit harder to factor through that and of course talk on the phone but we wouldn't talk. know what each other look like exactly right? and it's, it's just different yeah. you communicate differently if you can see someone's face right so right oh yeah so yeah, yeah i mean looking down the 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 lineup you got for this year is pretty damned impressive too and i mean i'm a huge fan of jake thistle i think that kid's you know assuming that he gets the right opportunities and the right people get into his into his professional life i think that guy can really go to the top you got paul zolo jeff slate coming down and both excellent musicians in their own right and obviously Tom, Tom Terry authorities, Keith Eveland, lovely to see him coming down from the nation, right? And doing a bit of a, a bit of a turn. And I don't know a lot of those other bands. So when you're pulling that together and you're looking at that set list, how do you approach, like, who do we ask? How do we get these people in? Like, what, what was that process like? How did you sort of decide who you wanted in, to play? Well, um, we, so we, you know, we, we were, we were asking bands before, we knew we could do it. So yeah. we didn't want to pick out people that we didn't know. So we tended to okay. go back to the well and go, Hey, would you like, could you pencil in this date? You know, yeah. we don't have any money right now. We can't put, we're trying to work it out, you know, just have patience with us. And so a number of them did. And so we're, we're real happy with that. We've got some great acts. Oh my gosh. Um, the, the one that could end up killing, I mean, like, Oh my gosh, is, is the last band you'd ever expect. Uh, this is a band of five horn players and a trumpet, okay. right? And one's a trumpet. Now, two trumpets, a sax, uh, a uh, clarinet, and a and a sousa. Now, sousa is like the big tubas. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and these are all college kids. And they're all, while they're playing, they're literally jumping up and down. <laughs> Now, there's this little five foot six girl holding this giant tube and jumping up and down <laughs> while they're playing and they play with so much energy you remember the beatles early songs well playing with that kind of energy wow. and and they're going to be playing and they've never played tom petty songs so but we're going to get them to play some tom petty songs and and the first time i saw them uh was earlier in the year and um we had nothing but great bands come up one after another and and you know the whole band everybody's like oh okay yeah and they're sitting there you know not making a big deal about it but these guys came up no one had heard them before and in no time the entire crowd rushed the stage you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. like who are these people how can they put out this kind of energy and uh so that's that's one band the Sousa. okay um, i'll check those guys out we have Shine and the Shakers, I think. Okay. And Shine, Shine is holy smokes. Um, Jimi Hendrix is uh, she's come uh, came back as a, a black lady. Uh, that's all I can tell you. It's this lady, it's unbelievable. And okay. she did a and she does some great Tom Petty songs. But she did a uh, you've heard the Jimi Hendrix song "Hey Joe." Of course, yeah. She did it slowed down, and it was like. Like, wow. like a revelation kind of like like if jimmy heard it he'd go oh man i gotta start playing it that way <laughs> <laughs> that's and super so, cool yeah I'll, I'll definitely bookmark those and then try and, and dig into those i think what i might actually do is 
when I put this episode out, I'll put a playlist together of all the bands just so people can hear, you know, what they're getting into. So that's super, yeah, like horns and and the drum, like that's that's crazy. And One these drummer, are young kids. These are young kids. No bass like, player. No, they wow. don't sing. They they just play, and and the energy is amazing. We, and so, um, yeah, we we've got some absolutely amazing musicians. Everybody just really loves Tom, and they're willing willing to do whatever come in and honor him. And so that we're just really, uh, you know, we just all feel privileged to to be part of it. You know, it's just uh, it's he was an amazing musician. Um, yeah amazing person uh and, you know i i always point towards every time i see an interview he's in he goes well uh, you know i'm just an old musician from gainesville florida <laughs> he always mentioned gainesville uh, what what musician would mention what i mean i can't think of another musician that would always mention where they were from where they're from yeah right and then he mentioned it in his songs you know <laughs> the references to to the areas strewn around us so much so that in 19 when they were doing a follow-up to uh to the to the festival uh one of the fans said i like coming here because it's like being on a movie set <laughs> oh there's lillian's music store oh there's yeah. 441 oh there's his house and you know it's all this stuff so uh they uh you know it's 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 pretty cool to be here uh pretty uh uh uh, magical i guess uh um you know people probably you know that are watching this uh are gonna go well okay so what's gonna happen at a at a festival like that i mean tom's gone right you know so how, how are you gonna pay homage to him and so well, one of the things we found out is that tom wrote some magnificent songs magnificent um and how do we know that is that when other people play them through who they are you know, because yeah. everybody's different, right? And it, it, and and also through the style of music that they play, it the songs pop anyway. And if anything, they take on a new life. And so, literally, we've had fans, um, you know, just blown away by um, uh, by other people's interpretations of songs of Tom's songs, and and uh, we've had people tell us they go. Um, I didn't come here all the way from California to hear local bands play local their local songs. Yeah. Their original songs. I came here to hear Tom Petty music. But they didn't, as we figured out, they didn't come there to hear Tom Petty sing Tom Petty music because of course. Can't but his songs reinterpreted by people bring a new joy to the fans. I mean, they just get ecstatic. I mean, so it's it's um it's it's so cool to hear, yeah. you know, it, you'd think, Oh God, I get tired of Tom's songs after eight, you know, four <laughs> hours or something or eight hours, whatever it is. Yeah. But no, it's because everybody brings a different perspective, a different sense of it. Um, and it's like, it's, it, it's familiar and at once new. So it's just really interesting uh, phenomenon to hear these bands uh, cover his songs. And one has to remember that Tom maybe out of every uh, out of any professional musician that you know made it, uh, probably covered more ba more songs than any of them, than yeah. anybody else you can think of. I mean, I know for I know I saw somewhere that he had it covered at least three hundred songs, oh, right? <laughs> but and it's so funny because when he was growing up, when he was playing, and I just talked to a guy that was that was booking that helping 
book book stuff. And uh, the fellow said, yeah, I booked them at this Holiday Inn in Lake City, which is about 30 <laughs> miles away. And the guy called up and was complaining because, you know, they don't want to play. They don't want to play the hits. They want to play their own songs. Yeah. And and so uh, and so Tom would develop a technique where he'd go, okay, uh, we're gonna we're gonna hear uh, we're gonna hear a new song from uh, from the band, and then he'd play one of his songs. <laughs> And he would, and he would do that. He would introduce them as some, you know, oh yeah, that famous, that famous band, you know, uh, well, here's another one of their songs. And he would play one of his, you know. So good. So, so clever, (laughs) right? Yeah. But he, but he got into so much trouble playing covers, not wanting to play cover songs. And then he ends up being like the cover song artist, you know. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, some of the covers, some of the covers he's done are, they're almost the defending, like Jagger and Thunderbird now, right? That's, that's the version I want to hear. I want to hear Tom Petty singing that song because it's right. so flipping cool, right? And again, it's like you said, with with artists coming in and not, I don't, I think it's almost sort of, not worse isn't the right word, but I don't want to hear someone necessarily do Tom Petty's music verbatim because it's not him and you can't sing it exactly the same as him. So I love it when, again, people like Jake Thistle, I keep banging on that drum, but... When I interviewed him for the podcast, I put together a shortcut of all the stuff because he played um, seven songs for us on he did a live live stream on YouTube. And when I posted that little clip of, of those seven songs, I called it Jake Thistle Interpretations because that's exactly what it is. It's an, a, an artist finding the connection to those songs for themselves and expressing that. And I think that that's, it shows, it exposes the genius of Tom as a songwriter in that he was able to write these songs that maybe were sometimes specific to something he was feeling or going through at the time, but are broad enough and general enough that people can take those and say, well, this is how that applies to me. And this is how I can communicate that. And what that's what music should be, I think. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and not everybody's songs work that well being played by others. No, I mean, it's, definitely so it, it's, it's very interesting. And, and so interesting that he, he covered a lot of songs and then yeah. he's now being covered, you know? Yeah. So, and you know, like he, they did a, a cover of a band called something uh, of a song called something in the air. Oh yeah. Which, yeah. which the clap Newman. Yeah. That's the, yeah. The thing about his covers is sometimes you can't even tell it's not, it's not the cover artist. Yes. It's not the artist that he's covering. It's like, God, who is that? It sounds so much like Thunderclap Newman. Please, <laughs> who is that? You know, well, that sounds like Tom Petty singing. That's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They do. They did such amazing covers. Uh, probably the best cover band ever. I, I would, I would make that argument with anyone any day of the week for sure. And you think about all the major artists. Dylan covered, you know, different bits and pieces. Springsteen will throw the odd one in there, but no one owned them quite the same way that the heartbreakers did no one sort of got into the the very bones of those songs and, and passed them off as their own almost right and i don't think anyone else has ever done that not at that level not a, not a band at that level anyway i mean they certainly could have made a career of doing that but they didn't they made a career of doing their own songs but they added this as like you know extras yeah. and so it's pretty cool in that way you just think about how many songs they probably know you know when the heartbreakers together they like you said 300 covers but they could probably play at the drop of a hat 500 songs which is great. It's insane. That's absolutely insane. You know. Well, I don't know if you remember um, when they were when uh, they were recording Wildflowers. Yeah, they were recording Wildflowers, and the um, and the uh, the the label said, "Hey, we're going to put out this this greatest hits album. Yeah. We need a couple songs." And um, 
So he whipped out Mary Jane's last dance. It's just, <laughs> yeah. I've got, this like, one, I've got this one laying around. We could, we could yeah, try this like, one maybe. Like, oh, you need a greatest hits? <laughs> okay, yeah, I got that, right? <laughs> but then they they went to, crazy enough, they pulled all their equipment out and rented a different studio. Yeah. And they decided to record covers. And in a day or two, they recorded 50. <laughs> 50. Oh, that's we're just not just madness. talking like lazy covers. We're talking full about arrangement. Like, <laughs> full arrangement, the whole bit, right? So, um, so let's let's wrap up. Um, first of all, let me say thank you so much for your time. And I know I've probably taken up a little bit more than we were expecting, but this always happens when I talk to Tom Petty fans because Tom Petty fans love talking about Tom Petty, as do I. So it always kind of drifts off into into these long conversations. But so for people who still want to get tickets to the Tom Petty weekend um, coming up in October, where do they get them? What's available? What are the options that they have? heartwoodsoundstage.com uh and then you go to um upcoming events and scroll down to october 20th 21st and 22nd um it's a free concert um we've actually we did sell some vip tickets but we've sold those out and um we're, we're approaching 1500 people planning to come wow and we fully expect to be completely sold out and have somewhere around 2500 people each night so that's beautiful um, and so is any portion of that going to be recorded and sort of put out later and is there sort of is there merchandise that people can get if they can't attend or any of those kinds of options or no it uh, the uh the family has asked us not to sell um merchandise on the internet right that has tom petty name on it right so they have right. we have no problem with that and um but um there is uh, what was the first part of that question um oh if, if, is there any plans to record any of it to publish on youtube or anything like that later as sort of highlights or well we recorded all of 2019 except for the last act that we missed their vocals but okay. um but we never put it out because it costs money to re edit them down and remix them because right. they're that we've saved all the channels so we can remix we can mix it live so to speak but it takes time and uh and there's no um necessarily a uh, a way of making money off of it um, okay you know, you know so it it so it's like okay do i just want to dump some money into editing these videos that people like seeing but i'm i'm you know money's yeah. valuable <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so uh we will re record it I'm sure we'll probably put out a couple songs uh, for sure Okay, that, uh, you know, um, use it to help promote the next year. So let me tell you one other thing that we're doing uh, is we're doing a, a three hour storytelling session. And we've got folks like uh, uh, Jake Thistle, who while he hadn't met Tom, he's spent a decent amount of time with a number of the heartbreakers. Yep. And so he's got some stories from them. We've got Paul Zolo. He's going to tell some stories. He only spent a year, you know, every weekend with Tom. Yeah. And um, Jeff Slate's going to tell some of some great stories. Um, we have uh, Nancy Luca. Uh, Nancy Luca is one of the. Now she was a um, was she she in the seventies she was a um, guitar slinging goddess in Gainesville. She was okay. you know made she took lessons from Mike Campbell uh, when she was young. Oh, cool. And, um, and went out to California to make her fame and fortune. And, and that's where she lives now. And she's been in a number of bands and she's amazing lead guitar player. 
Okay. Uh, and she's got some, I asked her, I said, do you have any stories to tell about Tom? And she goes, well, there's that one where I was naked in his bed in a hotel room. <laughs> she goes, do you want me to tell that one? I said, Nancy, you can tell whatever story you want. <laughs> so I think she was kidding though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know, you know. I I don't yeah. know, I don't know how to I don't know how to to take that one. So it's like okay, there's and, probably uh, a lot of context needed for that story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And uh, and uh, let's see here. We have um, we have we, we have a, a, a offhand. I can't think of the others, but we have some ter terrific storytellers. It's going to be great. And then we're going to maybe a couple hours of storytelling and a panel discussion with the same folks that told stories. Yeah, uh, led by Paul. So. It, I, I guarantee you people who come to that are going to be ecstatic. You know, now we're, we're actually sold out inside, but we're going to video, video and audio um, and take the video and audio and put it outside on a big screen yeah. so that you you can see it, whether you're inside or outside. So, yeah, no, it's going to be, I mean, I, again, I, I was talking to someone else and I think I'd message when I message you, I'm very, very, disappointed that finances don't allow me to come down this year but i'm really planning i'm hoping that moving forward that at some point i'll get a chance and so that's the last question i kind of had before we wrap up is what are the plans for the future with the tom petty weekend is this again is this something that you're already starting to think about 2023 now what are those what are the, what's your sort of roadmap forward with this well we're we're we do this on the um with the approval of the family yeah right? and the family uh was talking there seriously about having a taking over the festival and running it each year. And, and they, they had, they had a whole in 2020, no, 2021, they had a lineup of including Cheryl Crow. Right. And, uh, and then they canceled it because of COVID getting bad. And um, so I, you know, If, if they run it, it's going to be amazing. You know, it's going to be different than what we do, but it's yeah. going to be amazing. But so we can't really plan unless we know that they're saying, oh, we're not going to do it this year. You can do it. So okay, when we finish this, that'll be the first thing we're going to be contacting with. Okay, so who's doing it next year? And yeah. uh, and so so that's why we can't really, you know, it's not really ours to plan. Right, um, right, 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 right. And, 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 you know, and, and as I, as I said to people, I have no problem with the fact that it's, they own the copyrights and the trademarks and it's their festival. If they want it, it's, you know, here it is, you know, we, yeah. it's, it's not ours, you know, we're, we're just caretakers and, uh, you know, and, and trying to do our best, to, you know, we can't run it like they could. I mean, yeah, of course they can. Hey, Bruce Springsteen, you want to come <laughs> over and play at our festival? Hey, you know, and can you imagine the heartbreakers getting back together and then bringing oh. in Stevie Nicks and I Eddie Vedder and all these people and Jake Thistle yep. to, sing, to do a concert for Tom? Can you imagine? It would be amazing. And it would definitely work. I mean, I remember, you know, the, the Freddie Mercury tribute concert at Wembley, it shows that you can do it if you get the right people in. So right. I think that would well, be fantastic. And hopefully, also, and hopefully, I mean, moving forward, you know, even if that does happen and the festival grows and it becomes a bigger thing in Gainesville, hopefully there's still something that they can bring, um, let the Hartwood Stonestage be a part of that in some capacity because there's still a, a good opportunity for bringing in some of those smaller acts and getting them playing the music as well on the side. That can be, you know, like I said, more of a jazz fest kind of the uh, idea behind it. So if we had our druthers, and it's, it's not ours to choose, but if we had, we would 
oh, and our plan was to be to hold local and regional acts. It'd be like one of a number of stages, and yeah. we would have the local and regional acts. We would have the storytelling, and we would be the home for the Tom Petty Nation. Um, nice, you know, so that they could go back and forth because it's just across the street. It's not a big deal, and um, so you know, in an ideal world, that's what would happen. But um, but you know, not always does things work out that way. So, um, but we're 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 uh, we think it's really important to have a festival each year for Tom, and um, I you know, we have a I have I personally have a bigger picture. Um, we um, I did I read this article about uh, Liverpool in in 2017. They, okay. They, presented us in 2018 but until 2017 they looked at tourism and they're like we're getting a lot of tourism where is this tourism coming from you know why is it that we're getting this all this tourism well they figured out that they were getting 110 million dollars of tourism each year from the Beatles, of course. right which yep. is 60 years later right <laughs> that's 60 years later so i'm going wow that's a lot of money and i don't know if you know about liverpool modern liverpool is not at all like the Liverpool that the Beatles grew up in. Liverpool the Beatles grew up in was like the dirtbag of of England. I mean, it was one of the worst places. I mean, yep. Mick Jagger said what when they heard about that there was this band out of Liverpool that got a record contract. And he's like, what good can come out of Liverpool? <laughs> right? That's that's the pits, right? Well, now Liverpool is like the shining example of cities in England. It, young people are moving there modern modern buildings yep. businesses are moving there families are happy moving there uh, all this stuff i mean and their tourism is huge right well why can't we do that you know we're not going to be able to you, do 110 million but yeah. maybe we can do a 20 or 25 million and and uh, and i see every year that we already have a tourism business going on with tom petty yep, people post on tom petty nation you know, pictures of visiting the Tom Petty Park. Uh, I don't know if you know about that. the the park that's like literally across the street from yep. his house, right? And the park and the mural and his house and that there's there's a whole and yeah, Lillian's and there's all these places that when I when I come down to Gainesville eventually, that's what I want to see. Of course, I do. Right. Yeah. And someone someone put it um, after one of the festivals. They said it's like coming down to a movie set. Yeah. Right. Oh, there's that. <laughs> there's that thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so. Uh, so anyway, that's, you know, in the bigger picture, I just think that pays a tremendous amount of respect to Tom and it helps his town, right? That he grew up in. So that that's my goal is to is to make it to where um the fans have a place to come to. Absolutely. Right? Uh I mean, you know, are they really gonna be nostalgic about Malibu? You know, it's like they can't even get in Malibu. <laughs> Yeah, who cares about Malibu? I want to get that's the thing. When me and my wife are planning trips now, San Diego, Mexico, I kind of want to go to Gainesville. Well, where's Gainesville? It's this little place in Florida. <laughs> but there's a reason why I want to go down there. So, you know. yeah. Well, then she, you know, you come and then she'd like, oh, I get it. Why? why yeah, 100%. Came. And I should tell you too quickly that it's funny talking about Liverpool. I grew up 20 miles from Liverpool and 20 miles from Manchester, basically smack in the middle of those two cities. So I'm very familiar with what Liverpool was because I grew up in the 70s with it being... So did I, am I... See, I haven't been there. So did I tell the truth by what oh, I just... hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a very working class town. It was where a lot of the Irish immigrants came when during the potato famine. So it was a very mixed sort of cultural place. But out of that sprang a 
very vibrant music scene. And then, of course, they opened up the Beatles Museum, which if you ever do get over there, it's a fantastic exhibit. And they've got the cavern is sort of obviously not what it was, but they've got that as a, a place you can go and visit and look at. And it's just they've really they've done it right. They've done it, as you're saying, they've done it exactly right where they're not sort of they're not milking it, but they're giving fans what they want to see. You know, and of course, all the Kids foot are traffic. are going to come anyway, right? Of course, Kids they are going to come course, anyway. So why yeah. not? And why not Absolutely. facilitate? And not in a way like you're ripping them off, but facilitate so that everybody's happy, right? Yeah. And so that's that's anyway. That's what I'm. That's my goal is uh, to get that. You know, at least it, it's an idea that you know. I believe in. If you have a good idea, it's a kind of like striking a match on a bale of hay you know you throw it on there and it doesn't start out but sooner or later it'll just yeah. you know it turns into something yeah. much bigger and that's a good idea will will is like that you know you don't uh you put it out there and and if it's the right time and place it'll yeah. it'll happen and uh so it, well, and it, I, it's a great idea to honor time and, and a great legacy and i think one that he would be he would be very proud of too right and i think that the fact that you're doing this as a volunteer is wonderful and very special and so from all the fans who can't make it to the tom pity weekend and all the fans who are going to be lucky enough to be there thank you so much for all the work that you guys have put in to doing this because again it means so much to so many people and all the people who are the two two and a half thousand people who are going to be at this weekend are going to leave with a lifetime of memories and they're going to meet people who they've met through the tom pity nation and people like paul zolo and they're going to be able to talk to all these people and it's going to be a such a, a life-changing event for so many people and people are going to bring their kids and their kids are going to get into it and it's going to be it's such a great thing that you guys are doing so thank you so much well, and thank, you're welcome. Um, that's that touches on uh, the one of the more amazing things about Tom Petty music is that you you can find. Uh, I was wearing a Tom Petty T-shirt to a PT appointment, and there was these two. And, and I'm old, but these people were much older. They were in their 80s or 90s, and and they looked at me and went, "Nice T-shirt, you know, we love Tom Petty." I'm like, "Whoa, you know," but and I get that from 14 year olds, you know. Of that, course. You know, I mean, literally, his music. Um, I, I can't think of anybody uh, beyond the Beatles that have quite the um, the the uh, uh, you know the fan base yeah. that he had in terms of age groups. Now, um, what's interesting is now when we have these festivals. Do you know what age group and sex we see the most of? I would say, if I had to guess, I would say 35 to 50-year-old women is what I would guess. Probably closer to 50, 60-year-old women. Is but, it really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, 45 to 60 or something like that. Okay. Women that were 16 when yeah. Tom came out, right? You know, and they became infatuated with Tom and then stayed with them their whole life. Yeah. So that, that and we were like, wow, there's all these middle-aged ladies around. It's, <laughs> it's really interesting. It was like, why is that? Well, Tom, that's who, that's who's Tom attracted. And they, you know, we, we talked about that earlier. You, 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 when you're young, you, you decide you like a particular kind of music and that tends to be the music you like the rest of your life. Yeah. You might like others, you might add others, but you always... You always go up. back. Yeah, it's your first love, right? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, so that's apparently that what he was. He had a lot of fans and the ladies back in the day. So, oh, rock and roll life is just the greatest it's thing. The it's the best thing in the world. Yeah, yeah, with, with an amazing band and uh, and and being reasonably close. You yeah. know, it's just oh my gosh, it's just thrilling. It's, yeah. it's, you can't. It's hard to explain to someone if they haven't done it. And uh, so, 